Good morning, rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson, and you're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We are exclusive today for 30 days at rumble.com as part of their creator partner program. Give it up, give it up. What does that mean for you? What that means is that if you are one of the few people who still watch us on YouTube, you're seeing me, you're hearing me. Hello, YouTube. Goodbye, YouTube. For at least 30 days. I know, I know, some people are just, it's hard to make changes. But if you want to watch the show today, you're going to have to come over and join the rest of the Cantina crew over at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. That's right. For 30 days, rumble.com and I are teaming up to bring the Wake Up America show to you exclusively at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. Yeah. We're making moves. All right. Now, what does that mean? That means that I'm going to end the stream over at YouTube.com. You, Bye-bye, YouTube. You've been terrible to us so far, so I'm sorry. Not to say anything about the people watching us on YouTube. You're perfectly fine. I get it. I understand new things are scary sometimes. Rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. Download the app and join us over there, and we'll see you. Well, if you don't want to watch on Rumble, I guess maybe I'll see you in 30 days, or maybe we'll be over there permanently. Who knows? <laughs> anything can happen. We'll see you at Rumble.com. All right. Now the only people who can hear or see me are the Rumble.com people. What's up, Rumble? Let's have a conversation. Those platforms weren't doing me any favors anyway, because Rumble.com has been featuring us on the front page for, God, I don't know, since last September. And boy, the numbers have been absolutely terrific. And I'm so grateful to them and thankful that they have uh, uh, that they have chosen to allow me into their Rumble Creator Partner Program. We're going to do this for 30 days to stream over at rumble.com exclusively, and I'm really excited about it. It means great things for our future. So, um, right. So let's help rumble.com. Give them a like, click subscribe to the channel, come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. So uh, you can get all the, uh, all the news that's happening in the world. Economic freedom and personal liberty is what we're about. Oh, my God, there's a whole lot of text messages over there. I'll have to check those out when I get a second. Uh, you can send a text too at 573-319-1586. Again, the text lines are always open and I typically check them night or day, but maybe I just forgot yesterday. 573-319-1586. We appreciate y'all. Quest Fanning, Guocas, 0422, Joni Rankin, Urz Mommy, and uh, Mighty Megatron are all here with us today. Uh, glad to have you all here. We appreciate you very much. Um, are we streaming? Are we live? Let's, good God, we'll do it live. I just want to make sure that everything is working fine. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests today. Today's Wednesday. You know what that means. We've got uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano joining us live. Oh, guess what? The show has not started yet. Uh, okay, here we go. All right, and we're live. Let's try that again. Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and thankful to have you here. Today is a very exciting day. We are streaming live exclusively starting today for 30 days as part of Rumble's Creator Partner Program. That means that the Wake Up America Show can only be found live here at rumble.com. Give it up. Thank you, Rumble. It's go time, Quest Fanning says, Mighty Megatron, 
Glocos is here with us. Joni Rankin, Ur's mommy, my lovely smoking hot redheaded libertarian wife, Steffi P is here. What's up, Quest and Glocos and Steffi and Robbie and Liberty Shindig? I know that's you, Ken. Andy Opperman and Bruce Burt Whistle. Yo, 69 people watching us live. What? How dare you? How dare you? Love to see it. That's right. If you want to watch the Wake Up America show for the next 30 days, you can't see us on YouTube, you can't see us on Facebook, you can't see us on Twitter, you can't see us on Spreely, you can't see us on Apple TV, Fire TV, or Roku. There's only one place if you want to get your daily dose, your freedom injection, if you will. Totally voluntary, not mandatory. <laughs> but if you want to watch it, you got to go to rumble.com slash AP4Liberty. Thank you to rumble.com for including us in your featured creator partner program. The Wake Up America show is grateful to you. Ever since last fall, Rumble has been so good to us and YouTube has been so terrible to us. Rumble.com has been featuring us so frequently ever since last September after YouTube demonetized us. Where would we be without Rumble.com? So I'm glad and thankful to be part of this program. What's up, what's up? Let's get ready to rumble. Nice to have you here. We've got a lot of great guests and a lot of great topics starting at 7.30 a.m. Central today. We're going to talk to Tony Lavasco. You know Tony, Mo State Rep. Tony, Tony L. Tony L is going to be joining us this morning. Tony L for Liberty. Don't take an L for Liberty. <laughs> no, actually, please don't take an L for Liberty. Take a W. Take a W for Liberty, my friend. Uh, he introduced a bell. Uh, there was a bunch of cops in St. Louis who rounded up guns as part of a program for, like, you know, deterring violence. And then they put them all in the back of a dump truck or something and had them destroyed. And we were all just no, like, Oh God, no, God, please. No, no. What a waste. A lot no, of beautiful farms. Who knows? No. Some of those things could be relics from world war II, irreplaceable. Yeah. Some of them are just cheap crap guns that criminals may have used, but uh, those guns, a lot of those guns are worth a lot of money. And I don't understand why they feel the need to destroy them. Guns are perfectly legal here in the state of Missouri. I myself have several dozen, uh, hundred of thousands <laughs> who knows and they're all sitting at the bottom of the lake of the ozarks mm -hmm. yes they are sad isn't it yes they are it's very sad tony lavasco has introduced a bill here in the state of missouri to stop government agencies from destroying guns god bless you tony 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 uh, Tony will be joining us this morning at 7 30 a.m central and he's going to be in studio oh that's nice Make you feel good. At 8 o'clock this morning, we're going to hear from Judge Napolitano. You guys always love big brain time, don't you? Judge Napolitano is going to join us this morning at 8 a.m. Central Time to talk about the Biden administration uh, possibly selling secrets overseas. Uh, well, maybe it was while he was VP, so you don't have to worry about it, right? Uh, Joe Biden. Uh, oh, man, somebody sent me a picture of their Afuera hoodie going, yes. Let's see if I can pull this image out for you. We are going to talk about Javier Malay today. Donald Trump and Javier Malay, populists in love. Now, my buddy Tony, um, Tony Martinez sent me a message, a DM last night on Twitter. I don't know if it's true or not, um, but I tend to believe what he says. But the, the news was that Javier Malay was supposed to come to Washington, D.C. to meet with Donald Trump at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference that happens every year at the end of this month. But Tony says that that meeting, unfortunately, has been called off. Aww. I know, we were all really excited to see it. Uh, but uh, apparently it's not going to happen, which we're all about. 
But uh, the whoever is our friend here who sent me the text message with you and the Afuera hoodie there, you are the man. Afuera. I see the picture up there right now. Look at this handsome dude. This guy was, this guy is like probably like a seven on a good day. And now with his Afuera hoodie, you can tell he's a solid nine, baby. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Mm, look at him. Look at him. Look at her. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with her, like a little lady in a race car. Very cute dog, by the way. Love it. Love it. How dare you? Appreciate you. Uh, we're all gay for Javier Malay, are we? <laughs> You're not gay for pay. You're gay for Javier Malay. Welcome to the Wake Up America show where everything's a little bit weird, especially on holidays like today. Mm -hmm. I love you. Click like and subscribe to the channel. Spread the love. How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to know, cause we're living in a world of fools, keeping us down, when they all should let us be free, we belong to Javier Malay and me, na 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 na, la da da da, la da 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 da, how free is your love, how free is your love, how free is your love, thank you. Thank you very much. I really need to know. Glad to have you all here today on the Wake Up America show. We're going to have so much fun. Javier Malay and Donald Trump apparently not going to meet. Wah, wah. Sad. Uh, but I saw this headline over at the Associated Press that made me laugh this last week. Look at this. Trump has long praised autocrats and populists. He's now embracing Argentina's new president. <laughs> are they freaking out? Well, there's a lot of people who are freaking out about Javier Malay these days. His first time on the show today, Jack Lloyd will be joining us. He's a voluntarist and he is a uh, published author of children's books. And he's going to join us today at 8.30 a.m. to talk about why so many libertarians seem triggered by Javier Malay. No, I don't get it. How dare you? Um... My guess is, and I think Jack Lloyd's guess is, is that a, a lot of libertarians seem to be pretty triggered because Javier Malay isn't mean to the people with tiny hats. So, uh, yeah. Uh, some libertarians, whenever they see the people no, with tiny hats, God! they're like, No, God, please, no, 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 no. Yeah, they don't like it. So Jack Lloyd's going to talk to us a little bit today. He's been calling out his fellow libertarians for showing uh, a little bit of bias against the people with tiny hats, especially because they're so triggered because, boy, can you believe it? Javier Malay went to uh, Israel and he didn't even commit one single act of blood libel. Look, unbelievable. Anyways, it'll be fun to talk to Jack Lloyd. He's going to join us this morning at 7.30 a.m. Central Time. I can't wait. And the, here's the Valentine's Grinch entering the chat. Rare Camellia. She's sad. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You're mad because you're alone. You don't have a boyfriend and nobody loves you. You're a Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to know. All right. Uh, so anyways, Donald Trump and Javier Malay apparently not going to meet at CPAC, which we're all sad about, Aww. but... But I do have some great Javier Malay clips to play for you. We can talk about it and talk about why 
Javier Millet is the best uh, before Tony Vasco joins us at 7.30 a.m. Central Time today. Javier Millet in Italy uh, last week met with the Pope, uh, who is from Argentina, Pope Francis, and a lot of people were also skeptical about that. Uh, but he diagnosed Europe's growth problem. Please allow me to translate from the Spanish. Uh, battery saver is on. Consider plugging in your device. That's probably a good idea because if my uh, laptop dies, then the whole stream dies. So I'm going to uh, put you on standby for two seconds while I plug my laptop computer in. Sorry, I just got so excited. Be right back. All right, welcome back. Mighty, Mighty Megatron calling me out for being mean, saying that's effed up, AP. No, it's just God. a joke. No, God, please, no. Funny no. and I tease each other all no. the time. No. Good, yes, and funny. Exactly. Thank you. Always for me, the, the funniest jokes are the meanest jokes. The Wake Up America show brought to you by people like you. We appreciate you. Click like, subscribe to the channel. All right. And let's get to the clips. I promised Javier Malay diagnosing Europeans, European, European, I'm a pian. Everybody's a pian. It's the Wake Up America show on a Europe's growth problem. Allow me to translate. This is the interviewer saying, you have a chainsaw, he says. When did you regret having shown the chainsaw? So they're trying to, they're, did you regret it when you made the ch that chainsaw commercial? What an interesting question. And when I say interesting, I mean stupid. Malay says, no, on the contrary, I'm proud of it. I'm absolutely proud that I did that. In fact, I cut the size of the state in half. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, maybe it's because it's Valentine's Day, but I'm just, this stuff makes me extra horny. We are removing corruption from social programs. And we are eliminating public works. Oh, God, that's hot. But in Europe, they do the opposite. We increase public works. We increase social projects. And politicians get elected because they talk about the public's spending programs. Ooh, boner killer. Do you know this? He says. And then Malay responds. Let me ask you something. Which area of the world is growing the least? Ooh. Europe, obviously, because it has plenty of state presence. And it has too many Keynesians. God bless you, Javier. Jesus, he's so sexy. Where's the uh, button? Uh, yes, uh, Ur's mommy over there says, you would be scared if you knew my past. Honestly, I, I yeah, I didn't think I would. From what you've told of me and what I've heard, it sounds scary. Rare Camellia says, all men could only wish for a woman who couldn't care less about Val Valentine's Day. Yeah, sure. Keep telling yourself that, Camellia. Oh, sad. Um, <laughs> um, let's get another clip here from Javier Malay. Here he is in Italy meeting with the Pope, Pope Francis, who he had a lot of people were skeptical about because he had said, called him a communista and said some unkind things about him. Here's Javier Malay meeting with him and uh, sitting down with him, being nice to him, because apparently the latest news I've heard is that the Pope is looking at potentially moving back to Argentina, um, which I don't know how that would work, because if you're the, you're supposed to live in the Vatican for the Pope, but maybe he'll do what the, didn't the previous Pope step down, Benedict? I'm pretty sure, but uh, anyways, here's Javier Malay. He's being nice. He's being diplomatic. You got to give him points for that. And uh that's what you're supposed to do when you're the head of state. Remember, when you get elected, if you, I don't care how libertarian you are or anarcho-capitalist you are. Look at those awesome sideburns, by the way. God, those are beautiful. Big old hairy sideburns. 
can't you just imagine just for a quick second uh can you just imagine what it's like what his hair routine must be like in the morning so like for me in order to get my hair to give my hair a little bit of volume because obviously i'm middle-aged so my hair is thinning like crazy um in order to give my hair a little bit of volume i have to like you know i shampoo it out in the morning then i gotta blow dry it so it's dry because if i put any kind of grease or anything like that in the morning if I put any kind of grease in the in it while it's wet, it's just going to be like this little mess of like stringy, nasty. Look like Adolf Hitler, you know. <laughs> 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 I'm sitting in the mirror in the morning, and I got like the comb, and I'm like, right, right. But then once it's nice and dry, then I get a little bit of the hand, the the cream, you know, like uh, I don't know what you call pomade or something like that. It's kind of like a dry cream. And then you just kind of like gently brush it through the hair. So it looks like I still have hair there, right? Because, you know, I'm really good at that. But if you kind of like peek down, you can kind of see there's really only like a little bit of hair here. But what do you think Javier Malay's hair routine's got to be like in the morning? It's like, like he's probably like he's got a little bit of the pomade. Like I know he dry styles it, right? Because even though he does have a lot of hair, he's got way more hair than me. And I mean, those are some hairy ass sideburns. He's like poofing it out. He's got he's like poofing it out, right? So he's got a dry thing. So he dries it out and he cleans it dries it then once it's dry he takes whatever it is that he uses in there i mean this is if there was any comparison of him and donald trump i mean definitely the hair right so you can see why people they see the comparison uh but i just i love this hit piece on the associated press trump has long praised autocrats and populists he's now embracing argentina's new president oh my god no evil right <laughs> There you go. Um, and of course, what are they trying to do? They're trying to paint Javier Malay as if he's an autocrat. They're trying to make Javier Malay out to sound as if he's a dictator, which obviously a libertarian is going to be the opposite of dictator of a dictator. Here's Javier Malay in that same interview, TV interview, talking about how you reduce the state. He says, Malay, you are president to destroy the system? Question mark. He says, first of all, to defeat the status quo which is the corrupt politicians who have taken over the state. For example, we started our program, we had 19 ministries, now we have eight ministries. It looks like an afuera, yes, afuera. Like that kind of an afuera, afuera. In fact, so far in our short administration, he says, we have laid off more than 50,000 public employees. Oh, my God. We stopped the renewal of more than 10,000 contracts. We stopped 200,000 irregular social programs. Oh, God, I'm in love. And he says we reduced discretionary transfers of funds to provinces by 98%. 98%. Holy God. Afuera. And he said we made public works to be zero because we consider it a machinery aimed at creating corruption. God bless you, Javier Malay. He says because what needs to be understood is that corruption is inherent to the existence of the state. Because when there is an official willing to sell a favor, I mean, businessmen cannot buy favors that politicians don't sell. Beautiful point. And that's the end of that clip. God bless. God bless. God bless. It's the season of love. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, I go gay for Javier Malay. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, Tony Lavasco just joined us here in studio. He's going to come in and have a seat on the set here in just about 30 seconds. I'm going to go to a very brief commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk to Tony Lavasco. And if you don't love him yet, you're going to love him by the end. He's introducing a bill to ban the government from destroying guns on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, rise in freedom. Happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to the Wake Up America show. I'm Austin Peterson, and I love you. Glad to have you here. We appreciate you tuning in. Click like and subscribe. Come back and join us here on the Wake Up America show. It's every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Now, listen, I know some of you probably forgot to get your lovely honey a Valentine's Day gift. What's wrong with you? You're going to have to make it up to her. So... I tell you what, I've got the perfect thing. Especially if you've got a Javier Malay lover in your life, go to ap4libertyshop.com. Get yourself one of our beautiful Viva La Libertad Carajo necklaces, and that will make up for everything, won't it? It'll be nice. Check it out, ap4libertyshop.com. All right, I don't love politicians. I usually start by hating them by default, but there are a few every once in a while that I'm kind of like, meh, okay, maybe they're all right. And every once in a while, there's a politician that I like and sometimes even love. Tony Lavasco joining us live in studio right now is that man. I love you, Tony. Okay, turn on your microphone. There you go. What's up, Tony? How you doing, brother? Doing well, Austin. How are you? Good. Glad to have you here. Valentine's Day. Likewise. Glad to have you here. Um, Tony, why would I say I love you? Well, listen, there are very few politicians that introduce bills that I'm like, wow, I would actually like to see the government passed that bill. You have introduced a new bill, uh, but I'd like you to set it up for us and explain to us what happened and why you're introducing this legislation. So you're familiar with gun buyback programs. You see those across the nation. We've seen them in the big cities here in Missouri where the government will use your tax dollars to basically buy back, not that they ever had them to begin with, uh, weapons that they feel uh, should be off the streets. Uh, that that's the sales pitch, right? But the reality is, invariably, what they end up doing is getting people who, you know, their grandpa passed away and left some stuff in the basement, and then you know they're not into guns or whatever, and they figure, oh, I can turn this into a quick buck. I'll sell it to the government. Uh, and so what they're doing is they're taking these guns and they're destroying them. They're not reselling them. They're not putting them back in the marketplace. They're literally destroying them, and then they're going on social media and bragging about it. Uh, in this case, it was city of St. Louis had a, a, a social media post on on Twitter, and they 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 had a picture of like a dumpster or whatnot and it, you know uh, the hundreds of guns have been removed from the streets and will never again be used in a crime and uh, you know that that nonsense and and they're bragging about it and you know this is something that's been on my radar for a while and i, I saw that la late last week and i said you know i think now's the time to put a stop to it uh so i filed a bill that said that you can't actually destroy guns in missouri unless you offer them to say for sale to the public the same way that you would any other surplus property right if the government closes down an office and they have to get rid of the office furniture they're required by law to offer that to the public first before they dispose of it. It should be no different with guns. Give it up. Tony Lavasco. Woo! Very nice, Tony. Okay, this sounds good, but there's a little bit of a hitch. So um, people are going to freak out if the government starts selling guns back to people. Um, the, they have no problem with the government selling guns to terrorists overseas, right? Uh, but uh, you know, or leaving them in random crates in the middle of Afghanistan for people to find. Exactly. Oops. What happened here? 
Um, but there are federal laws uh, in regards to how the government would sell guns. How would something like that actually work? It's actually very simple. Uh, they go through a licensed federally firearm, federal firearms uh, licensee, and it is processed like any other normal transaction. Uh, if you buy a firearm on the Internet from a vendor out of state, uh, they're, they're required to deliver that to a licensed gun dealer in Missouri. You go to the gun dealer, you get your background check, and you take possession of it there at the gun store. Uh, it doesn't get sent directly to you. This would be no different. And the government would simply go through the same network of federal firearms uh, licensees that uh, any other normal person would go through. Yeah, it's always a, a it's a crime to me when I see some of these guns being destroyed, especially when it comes through these buyback programs, because you'll just have somebody's grandma who like, you know, their husband passed away and he was a World War II veteran and he had a freaking machine gun from World War II, things like that. It's like that Indiana Jones line. You belong. It belongs in a museum, right? Some of this stuff absolutely should never be destroyed. These are historical artifacts. Absolutely. And there's stuff that's irreplaceable that's getting melted down for no reason other than the local government just doesn't like guns. Uh, it's interesting. The Missouri state statute already says that they're supposed to offer them to two licensed dealers for sale before they destroy them. What it doesn't say is what they have to charge or how hard they have to try. And so what we're seeing is that, you know, they, they, they go to a couple dealers that they might have an arrangement with and oh would you like to buy these old you know beat up guns for ten thousand dollars a piece and they'll say well well no we don't want that we're not going to make money on that and they'll say oh guess we got to melt them down that's that's not acceptable uh my bill specifies that if they're offering to the public they have to offer them at a fair market value and if they don't sell they can't melt them down until they've offered them on at least two occasions for a penny <laughs> yeah, Tony. dang you just want the poor people to be able to be able to afford guns, you know, just like anything else. You know, poor people deserve to have guns, too. That, Tony, that's awesome. Love to see it. Click like and subscribe to the channel for Tony Lavasco. I'm speaking to Tony, who is a Missouri state representative. He just introduced a bill that would prevent the government from destroying guns that they receive here in the state of Missouri. It's a brand new bill, so I imagine probably no co-sponsors just yet. Found it yesterday. So. Yesterday, okay. All right, well, what else are you working on this year, Tony, as a representative here in the state of Missouri? Well, I've got another gun-related bill that I haven't told you about yet that you might find interesting. I also filed uh, this week. And that is to eliminate uh, what I am referring to as Missouri's red flag law. What? And you're going to say, well, we don't have a red flag law here in Missouri. It's a nice red state. Uh, and, you know, we kind of do, except for it's almost worse than a red flag law. There's a statute that says that law enforcement can confiscate your guns if they believe you are a member of a criminal street gang. And they can petition a court to declare those guns a nuisance and have them destroyed, basically without a whole lot of due process on your end. And the the worst part about this is if you look at the definition of a criminal street gang, it's basically three or more people that are gathered together that share common branding, uh, one of which commits a crime. So if I get together with my dance troupe and we start doing a reenactment of West Side Story and doing like the, the, the rumble scene, we're pulling out knives and stuff. And even though we're just doing ballet and acting kind of gay. Then uh, that could be considered a street gang. I don't know about that specifically, but uh, the example that I've used that uh, people have chuckled at, but is, is true, is uh, three guys go into a bar and they're, they're all wearing Trump hats. One of them gets into a bar fight. That's a criminal st street gang under our statutes. Oh, your yeah. guns can be confiscated. Nah, I mean, that's insane. We're going to put a stop to that. OK, well, you know, the only place I could see something like that happen would be Kansas City or St. Louis or uh, maybe Springfield, Missouri, if you wear a MAGA hat. But I'm, 
pretty sure I'm not going to get a bill through the General Assembly to outlaw Kansas City, St. Louis, and Springfield from existing. Uh-huh. So we're going to have to do what we can here. Yeah, for sure. Were you excited to see the Kansas City Chiefs win in the Super Bowl the other day? Great. Yeah, did you know that it was rigged because Taylor Swift performed a satanic ritual and uh, that's how they managed to win the, the Super Bowl? Uh, you know, Satan needs to up his game because it took us a bit to actually pull off that win. So, yeah, well, you know, if that was what, what happened, uh, you know, I'm disappointed. Well, see, once they, they had, see, she made the witch's brew and then Pfizer manufactured it into the vaccine which they gave to Travis Kelsey, which gave him superpowers so that they could come back at the end and win the Super Bowl. That was activated by the 5G, right? Yes, they activated by 5G, and then it all stems right straight through the signals that you get from the tinfoil hat. So at least this is the latest conspiracy theory I've heard, but it was nice to see. I mean, this is, here's the thing, Tony. Kansas City, it's my home city, right? When I was a kid growing up, whenever we wanted to go do something fun in a city environment, we would go into Kansas City, Crown Center. I know you're a St. Louis guy, but... Kansas City is kind of my home city, and we never had a winning football team my whole life, right? And I know I'll be the first to tell you that I'm not a big football fan, but I love seeing Kansas City get its time in the in the sunlight. And now Kansas City is uh, winning the Super Bowl. They're having a huge parade. Everybody's excited about taking off. A, did, did government employees take a day off today? To get, they did. Okay. Well, yeah. as much as I love Kansas City in the Super Bowl. Um, are they are they getting paid? Is this a paid day off or? A- well, in, in fairness, I don't know that government in general is taking a day off, but certainly the Missouri General Assembly has decided they're going to do virtually nowhere. We've got some committees meeting. I'll, I'll be doing some work, but okay, so, a lot of folks are not in the building this so day. So your fellow representatives have decided that today is a holiday and that the winning of the Super Bowl gives them the opportunity to say, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to shirk our responsibilities to our members because so we can go get a glimpse of Taylor Swift. Apparently. Okay. All the more reason to admire Javier Malay. Javier Malay would work on Super Bowl Parade Day, I would guess. Well, I'll be working today, Austin. Just my guess. Well, good for you. Give it up for Tony Lavasco. He's not going to waste your tax dollars. Speaking of Missouri State Representative Tony Lavasco, we're talking about uh, bills that he's introduced. Speaking of guns and Missouri, Tony, um, we had uh, one of the strongest pro-gun laws in the country got overturned. We're still fighting to try and restore this bill. This was the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which essentially made it so that um, the local authorities here were not allowed to collude with federal authorities in scenarios where someone was committing a gun crime that was not a state gun crime. If it was a federal gun crime, the feds had to come in and do their own dirty work. The state police were not allowed to um, be commandeered. To you to be used to uh, prosecute these crimes. What's the status of that right now? So we're still waiting. Uh, you know, we did we did lose uh, at the last level. We're we're appealing. Uh, I think we've got a good shot. I think if you look at the basis of both case law as well as kind of common sense, uh, the idea that the federal government can say that we are ordering you as Missouri to use state tax dollars to enforce laws that you didn't pass and had no part of, uh, long-standing precedent says they can't do that. Uh, the fact that the Biden administration is uh, acting as if this Second Amendment Preservation Act is somehow claiming to nullify federal gun laws is ridiculous. It doesn't do that. Anybody who reads the bill knows it doesn't do that. We'd like to do that. But we can't like we're but we are bound by the Constitution. There's supremacy clause. We cannot do that. Uh, what we can do is say we're not going to spend your tax dollars in Missouri to enforce unconstitutional laws that the federal government comes up with. And that's what we've done here. And I, I think it's perfectly valid. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's going to be going to be interesting to see if, you know, this dies off in the court challenges and, and uh, what happens there. Um, Tony, I have been super impressed by another politician in our state 
Normally, our federal officials, well, writ large, tend to suck, except for like, you know, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, a few others. Eric Schmidt uh, of Missouri, our new junior senator, has been out there fighting the good fight in trying to stop foreign aid being stolen from American citizens and given to wealthy, corrupt officials uh, in Ukraine. Listen, I completely uh, wish that Ukraine, you know, had a fighting chance here. And, you know, I don't support people like Vladimir Putin and others. Right. And I criticize a lot of libertarians because I think they actually actively do support Putin and come in on his side. But I'll say that despite my, you know, personal support for Ukraine, if I want to support them personally, I'll send my own money to them. And there are plenty of ways to do that. But I don't justify, I don't think we could be justified that poor people here in, in Cole County, Missouri, where I live, just outside the city limits, I, Stephanie and I looked at the average salary for people in Cole County. It's, it's like not even $30,000 a year, like the average salary of the people who live in my community. And when they're paying tax dollars and it's being shipped overseas, the people in Ukraine, those officials who are getting that money, they're making a lot more money than the people in Cole County off of our tax dollars. It's a damn shame. I've been proud to see Eric Schmidt standing up and fighting against it. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, I think he's done a great job. Uh, you know, I was a little critical of him during the campaign. He had a, a lot of uh, kind of bumper sticker slogans and mm -hmm. things that didn't have a whole lot of substance. But I've been very happy with him as senator. He's mm -hmm. done a good job of, of fighting the fight. And he's standing up on issues that aren't necessarily super popular. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the reality is, even within the Republican Party, uh, you know, foreign aid is still pretty popular. Mm -hmm. uh, it shouldn't be. I, I'm with you 100%. We don't have the money. It's one thing if we had some huge surplus and we had a balanced budget and we really just wanted to try to help out and come together as a nation to whatever. We're falling apart. Yeah, we're in a point where we're paying more interest on the on the debt than than we're able to to take in. We're very quickly going to be in a situation exactly like Argentina was uh, not that long ago that uh, Malay is trying to to reverse. And the fact that we've at least got some folks that are saying, yeah, no more, we're not going to do that, I think is fantastic. You love to see it. Uh, Tony Lavasco commented on federal affairs as well as state affairs. <clears throat> do you have any other legislation, state level stuff before? Because before, before I go international and ask you about uh, my gay lover, Javier Malay, um, I'd like to talk to you about the state level stuff and kind of put a bow on that one. Do you have any other bills that you're trying to advance uh, well, this year? I've got one that hopefully will be leaving committee uh, today that uh, makes it easier to do your own work on your own house if you want to pull a permit and, you know, fix your own uh, uh, walls or, or do your own addition, that sort of thing. Uh, kind of cuts away red tape. Uh, I've got one that's uh, gotten some controversy that makes uh, library boards uh, elected positions instead of appointed. And I've got one that I should have mentioned last time I was on the show that uh, you might find interesting. Uh, I've got a statute that repeals our price gouging laws and says that in a natural disaster or an emergency, a business should be able to come in and give supplies uh, to that market at whatever price is a fair market value. And the government shouldn't be able to say, oh, well, no, you're charging too much. Uh, we've got a mechanism in place that uh, people can basically get a rebate uh, from the government for what they were overcharged. Uh, that comes out of some of the, the dollars that we set aside for disaster relief. Uh, but in my mind, people ought to be able to have access to supplies in an emergency. And when we tell businesses it's illegal to do that, people suffer. Mm, that's, a, that's a good point. Let's uh, let's hit the international scene here. I've only got you for about four or five more minutes. I know you have a committee at eight, so uh, I'll get you out of here on time. So you'll have plenty of time. We are just across the street from the Capitol. Um, Tony, on the international level, Javier Malay, they're calling him a populist. They're comparing him to Donald Trump. Uh, and people are saying, uh, the Associated Press this morning is saying, here's the headline from the Associated Press. This is what they say. Trump is, has long praised autocrats and populists. 
he's now embracing Argentina's president. Oh, boy. That sounds like a scary headline. I don't know. I think if Trump embraced a lot of Malay's policies, we'd be in great shape. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Javier Malay? I think it's great. You know, it, it's one thing to have somebody who uh, kind of governs in a libertarian way, who wants to cut government, uh, shrink the, the size and scope of the state. Uh, it's another thing to see somebody win on that platform, hmm. right? And we've had small government presidents from time to time. I mean, we both love Calvin Coolidge. Uh, but Malay unapologetically made the focus of his campaign this super small government libertarian governs in a libertarian and way who wants people, to cut government you know, embraced it and he won by such a good margin, margin. I think it's just amazing. Uh, it's uh, I'd love to see, to see a movement like that take fire in America and to see us turn ourselves around as well. Tell me this. Um, what is a populist, Tony? Ooh, that's a good question. There's a lot of definitions floating out there. I would, I would say a populist is someone who uh, appeals to what is uh, the, the common uh, thread, whatever people are talking about, whatever people feel strongly about, uh, that speaks to the people directly, uh, as opposed to something that's a little bit more theoretical. Are you a populist? I'm not, you know, I, I think populism, you know, has its place and certainly any successful politician is going to have to have a, a certain amount of populist flair in order to get appeal, to get elected. Uh, but you know what? I tend to to do things by the book. If if I think that there is a a, a, a positive philosophical reason to do something, uh, I will be guided by that. And if people don't like it, then uh, well, I guess they can vote for the other guy. Yeah, I just I see populism not as uh, the end point, but as a tool. Yeah. I see pop populism is anti elitism, right? The idea that we want to overturn the established order. And I, I see myself in that vein, right? So I see myself as a populist now, perhaps an elitist later, in the sense that, you know, I would prefer to have people like yourself who are educated, who are knowledgeable, serving in a proper role as my elected representative, meaning that, you know, our, our system of government is an elitist system of government. If you want to have a pure populist system, then you want a pure democracy, right? Pure populism, to some extent, has its roots in a, a, a more Marxist style of government sure. that is really opposed to what you and I stand for, which is, I mean, the Electoral College, for example, that is not a populist institution, right? The, uh, the way that we decide who the president of the United States is, we don't vote directly for the president. We choose electors to make that decision for us. And if they don't want to vote for the person that you voted for, even though you voted for that elector, they can vote for whoever they want for Absolutely. president of the United States. That's the opposite of populism to an extent. But the thing is, I guess, at the end of the day, what we're all fighting for is to get elites like you who believe what we believe into positions of power, which is against the concept of populism to an extent. Certainly. I, you know, I think, again, you have to have that balance. If you're running on a platform that is very much against what people want, like you're going to lose. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You have to have a certain amount of what you're speaking to is what the people want. At the same time, the whole reason we have a republic is to create that firewall, to have a set of people who have different personal interests and ambitions that conflict with what the mob wants. And that provides the, you know, the mob has some method of having a voice, but they also have checks that says, well, no, we, you can't just vote, you know, your neighbor's rights away. Uh, it's a system that's worked fairly well, considering its faults uh, for the, the duration of our country. And it's something that a lot of folks are wanting to get rid of. And I oppose that. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, Tony, you're a fast talking man. So uh, do me a favor. I would like you to turn to the audience because we now have 1,200 people watching. Tony, say hello. Oh. And tell them how the people, the mob of people who are watching you right now, uh, can uh, help Tony to get reelected. Well, Austin, I certainly appreciate that. 
My website's TonyLavasco.com. It's T-U-N-Y-L-O-V-A-S-C-O. You can also go to HelpTony.com. And you can see me on social media as well. Anything you can do would be appreciated. There you go. Tony Lavasco. He's a good buddy, and he is a freedom fighter. He's the Javier Malay of Missouri. Visit his website, helptony.com. Tony, thanks for being uh, on the side of the people and being a populist now and I guess an elitist later. <laughs> thanks, Austin. Thanks, Tony. Have a good day and good luck in your committees. Thanks for going to work today. Unlike, unlike a lot of your other friends today for the parade. Happy Valentine's Day and we'll see you soon. Sounds good. There you go. Give Tony a like and a subscribe, will you? All right, peace. You can just walk out of the studio. <laughs> Get out. Uh, there you go. Get out. We appreciate you very much. All right. So we've got about, let's see, 12 or 13 minutes or so until Judge Napolitano joins us on the show. Can't wait for that. But guess what? Today is the bonus content uh, unlock of the year. Today's uh, little uh, mini documentary that I've produced for you as bonus content which you can unlock by the end of the show by donating at least $50 in Rumble Rants, uh, is one of the top most libertarian presidents. I know you guys want to hear who it is. So here's what it is. If you would like to see the bonus content, you have to unlock it by the end of the show. If you don't unlock it by the end of the show, then it goes away forever. No, and I know you guys God, don't want to miss no, today's God, please, very no, special no, bonus content. No, this week's theme no. for the bonus content. Okay, shut up. This week's theme of the bonus content is the most libertarian presidents in American history. And for the last two days, we've unlocked the bonus content. One was Martin Van Buren, which a lot of people are like, oh, that was a good one. Number two, yesterday's bonus content that we unlocked was Grover Cleveland. Yes, who, do we, who will we have today? If you would like to unlock this bonus content, and trust me, we're not going to have a lot of opportunities because we've got two more guests to go, and you know how that can be. Uh, sometimes people forget. you got to make a Rumble Rant donation. By the end of the show, we need to raise collectively at least $50. Now, if you go to APForLibertyShop.com and you buy yourself a Javier Malay uh, hoodie, uh, those things are $40, and that counts. So go buy yourself a Javier Malay hoodie at APForLibertyShop.com, right? There you go. So again, one last reminder, if you would like to unlock the bonus content today and find out who was one of the most libertarian presidents in U.S. history, then make a Rumble Rant donation. Um, everybody collectively adding up to $50 is enough to unlock it, or just some, somebody buys a Javier Malay hoodie and a Javier Malay sticker uh, over at APForLibertyShop.com. That in itself is enough to uh, unlock the bonus content. There you go. Okay. 12 more minutes to go on the Wake Up America show. You can send us a text and let us know at what's on your mind at 573 319 1586. That's 573 319 1586. Layla is giving me a song request saying, Can you sing the chorus of All We Need Is Love from the Beatles? Possibly, possibly, but uh, not right now. Perhaps at the end of the show, stick around and I will try. One uh, listener texted in this morning and says, Austin, can you ask the judge if he will be my Valentine's today? My own. <laughs> cute i will ask him another listener uh texted in this morning and asked the question um or uh is sending me information on bills which i can't read uh but asked another question kim mccurry says what would happen if rfk got the lp nomination and was able to get ballot access in some states that they don't have 
and out Tulsi Gabbard as his VP choice. You know what? Honestly, I don't have any idea. Uh, what do you think? Um, give me your take, Kim McCurry. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Send us in again a text at 573-319-1586. Again, the text lines are open anytime, night or day at 573-319-1586. All right, let's get to this article. We are going to talk to Jack Lloyd today at 8.30 a.m. a little bit more about Javier Malay and uh, specifically the beef that people have with him. But what does the left have to say about Javier Malay. Okay, so the headline was Trump has long praised autocrats and populists. He's now embracing Argentina's new president. Here's what the AP writes. Donald Trump has long praised a particular type of foreign leader, men he describes as tough and strong. Oh no, tough and strong? They're trying to make that sound bad. Even if they have chipped away at their country's democratic norms. You. The former president and GOP frontrunner is now celebrating the newly elected leader of Argentina, Javier Malay. Here's how the AP describes him. A wild-haired, chainsaw-wielding, self-described anarcho-capitalist. Oh, no! Dubbed the madman by his admirers. You love to see it. AP, fake news. Yes, but not me, AP, the Associated Press AP. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> AP is the fakest of the fake news. A very special congratulations to Javier Millet on a great race for president of Argentina. Trump exulted in a video posted Tuesday on his social media site. I am very proud of you. You will turn your country around and truly make Argentina great again. Oh, no. <laughs> Millet's resounding win gives Trump a new potential ally if he wins the White House again and underscores his enduring influence on global politics in the near decade since he first launched his bid for the presidency. It's also the latest example of the potency of right-wing populism that flirts with authoritarianism. What the hell? And an anti-incumbency fever that has spread across the world. How does Javier Malay flirt with authoritarianism? What, be, you know, uh, here's the thing. You know what libertarians were criticizing him for? For going and speaking to the World Economic Forum. They were saying that he flirts with authoritarianism. But that's not what the Associated Press means. <laughs> Joni Rankin says, here comes the judge. Yes, all rise. We're going to speak to Judge Andrew Napolitano here in uh, just under 10 minutes. Thank you, Joni Rankin, for that uh, donation. If we raise $30 more by the end of the show, I, you will unlock one of the most libertarian presidents in U.S. history. And I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Um, so the Associated Press says that, it, that they're flirting with authoritarianism which is so funny because liber like an anarcho-capitalist is literally the opposite, like the absolute polar opposite end of fascism, national socialism, communalism, socialism. Like it's literally the opposite of authoritarianism. And yet the Associated Press has the nerve to print garbage that says that that flirts with authoritarianism in, in regards to Javier Malay. Now, could you say that? Uh, it, with uh, some other right-wing populists? Sure, absolutely. But they're not talking about the Teddy Roosevelt Republicans. They're not talking about the, the trust-busting Republicans. They're not talking about 
the right wing Republicans that don't believe in the concept of rights that, you know, that their number one goal is to fight degeneracy. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the absolute literal opposite ass end uh, of authoritarianism. They're talking about libertarianism as authoritarianism. They're the dumbest people in the world. They're the stupidest people that you've ever seen in your entire life. They are the Associated Press. Can we get a boo up in here? Don't click like, uh, dislike on the stream, okay? Just because the AP sucks, right? I'm the cool AP. It's just so much easier to be a populist than it used to be, said Stephen Le Levit Levitsky, a Harvard University political scientist and co-author of How Democracies Die. God, you know that that's shit. Mierda! <laughs> Uh, he cited several global trends that have reshaped Argentine and U.S. politics, among them the repeat uh, shocks that the, we have suffered in terms of economics since 2008. He says voters want figures from recognizably outside the political establishment who basically want to punch the establishment. Well, I can tell you that that's only sort of true as someone who ran for office twice as an anti-establishment person and lost. Oops, boo. <laughs> <laughs> So then, not necessarily what they want. But uh, you know what? Honestly, I want to ask Judge Napolitano about this. I'm going to talk to him about this. I'm going to talk to him about the Biden administration apparently selling secrets to China. Tony Bobolinsky testified yesterday. We're going to talk to the judge about whether or not rights are something that actually exists. Right-wing authoritarianism, populism, don't go away. I got to go pee for liberty. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Going to tell us a little bit about it. Hey, have a blessed day there, Judge. Happy Ash Wednesday. God, you know, we have uh, this early, uh, good morning, Austin. This early morning mass I go to, the priest, the priest is uh, Filipino. And I, I said to him, boy, you really loaded up my forehead. And he said, Judge, when I was a child in the Philippines, the priest would mix ashes with oil and put it on your forehead. It took two weeks to wash it off. <laughs> now, Judge, for those of us who aren't Catholic, what, what does it represent? Well, as he puts the ashes on your forehead, he says in the old days in Latin, now in the vernacular, uh, remember, man, that you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. So at the beginning of Lent, it is a reminder that uh, our essence is our souls because our bodies will uh, disintegrate. They'll rise again, but they'll, uh, they'll disintegrate. So it's a reminder of our... Uh, mortality uh, and a reminder of our need to be close to uh, the Christ who saved us. Judge, you speak some Latin then. Uh, you probably know the phrase memento mori. Yes, remember the dead or in memory of the dead. Yes. And also remember that you will die. Yes. Well, actually, memento mori is part of the Latin phrase, remember, man, that you are are dust. The the you are dust is a, a vernacular, not a literal a translation of the Latin. Hmm. Well, Judge, thank you for that. And you know, a lot of people don't know that history, especially we have a lot of Midwesterners out here where um, Catholicism is a little bit more rare than it is in New York City. So I pr people appreciate that history lesson. Maybe you know a little bit about Saint Valentine, who uh, today's Valentine's Day is named after. Today was supposed to commemorate the date of his execution. Yes, yes, a bishop uh, and uh, and a martyr. I mean, he married a lot of people that is performed their 
weddings. I don't know the history of how uh, Western romance has come to be associated with hearts and chocolates and his name, but he is a bona fide, legitimate uh, Catholic saint slaughtered by uh, the Romans before the Roman Empire decided to embrace uh, Christianity. Thank you, Judge. I appreciate that. I think people really appreciate that history lesson. We've got a lot of people tuning in live this morning. Thousands of people watch our show and tens of thousands watch Judge Napolitano's uh, uh, excellent show, Judging Freedom, which you can download on any of his podcast apps. It's like that one uh, verse from the Bible. Uh, Saul has slayed his thousands, David his ten thousands. I guess you're King David in this uh, metaphor, Judge. (laughs) But don't worry, I'm, I'm not jealous. Uh, We're grateful to have you here and thankful that we get to hear your voice and your words on the greatest topics that are happening around the world. First, Judge, let's hit this breaking news topic before we get down into the nitty gritty big brain philosophy stuff. The question uh, surrounding the relationship between Hunter Biden and his son or his father, Joe Biden, and their business relationship. Yesterday, a gentleman by the name of Tony Bobulinski testified that there may have been secrets passed. But uh, from Joe Biden to Hunter Biden to America's enemies, what are the implications of this? Um, maybe give us a broad overview, and then if uh, before you get into the concise details of what the implications are. Well, it depends what is meant by secrets. Um, if if it's something that is um, uh, a national secret, confidential secret, or a top secret, uh, that's a felony. Uh, unfortunately, the statute of limitations has passed. The statute of limitations for this uh, is five years. And if this occurred during uh, Joe Biden's vice presidency, uh, obviously the, the, time, the time to prosecute has passed. Uh, this, of course, is a reprehensible act if, uh, if provable. Now, if it's a, not all secrets are national security secrets. That is, not all secrets are classified. So I don't know what Mr. Bobulinski was uh, referring to. He also seems to have said that uh, Joe Biden uh, sold uh, the Biden name, that is, allowed his son to uh, imply that the son could get things done because his last name is Biden. That is probably not a crime under the Supreme Court's narrowing uh, a bribery statute. A, there'd have to be a, a benefit going back to Joe, and B, it would have to show that he used official levers of power. This is one of uh, uh, Senator Menendez's defenses in his bribery uh, trial. Uh, the government would have to show that Joe used official levers of government power in return for some benefit directly to him. Now, using his name is no different than uh, Trump's children using their name on the Trump International Hotel, which uh, rented the old post office uh, in Washington, D.C., and had all sorts of foreign uh, governments uh, renting space in there and having their gatherings in there. Uh, It's not criminal. It's tawdry. Uh, It's inappropriate. It's most inappropriate for the uh, presidency. Uh, but it's not criminal. And doesn't this sort of fly in the face, though, of Joe Biden's previous statements that he did not have any business dealings with his son, Hunter? I mean, yes, clearly, yes. He, clearly he did. Well, unless the son was using the name without the father knowing it, 
uh, it does fly in the face of what he said. So the the remedy here is political. You know, if if capital I, capital F, Joe is going to run for re-election, if the Democrats don't step in and say, you got to go back to Rehoboth, Joe, uh, this will be a legitimate campaign uh, issue. It, it may open up Trump for similar attacks, but it will be a legitimate campaign issue. Uh, if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to the great Judge Andrew Napolitano, who's joining us live right now from New Jersey. Happy Valentine's Day. Please do click that like button and subscribe to the channel. Every Wednesday, the judge joins us here at 8 a.m. Central Time, and we call it Big Brain Time because not only do we hit the big news items like what we've just discussed, but we get into the nitty-gritty details of the philosophy and views and opinions that we hold as libertarians. Judge, your weekly column really struck a nerve with me, the one that you're uh, going to be dropping uh, on Thursday. Uh, you've got a little preview that you always share with me before it comes out at your website, judgenap.com. This week, it really struck a tone with me. Uh, as in the last several years, I have been doing battle with the, the authoritarian wing of the populist movement that has arisen in recent years. So a decade ago, a populist movement called the Tea Party arose, in which spawned the television show that you and I uh, worked on together at the Fox Business Network. They called it Tea Party Populism, populism being anti-elitism. Of course, we're against these current elites. Of course, we're against the World Economic Forum's international socialism. Of course, we're against these things. But now, this right-wing populism has turned into a more ugly form of authoritarianism, one that is uh, um, uh, one that represents the ideals of a more Roosevelt style of conservatism. Um, and so the other day in a conversation on a podcast, uh, I was told by a right wing, I guess, I don't know if they call themselves conservatives anymore. Many of them don't judge, uh, although they do consider themselves to be right wingers. Uh, I was told that, um, there is no such thing as a right there are only duties. Now, the fascinating thing about this, Judge, and I'll finish setting this up and let you go. The fascinating thing about this discussion is, of course, you do know, Judge, that I am not a religious person, that my secular view of, hu of humanity is one that does still uh, endow the individual with rights uh, in the concept of a natural right, and I look at this through the natural world, and yet this person was a true believer, a strong Christian, who still, as yet, does, does not believe in the concept of rights. There are no rights. Uh, there are only duties. Um, how would you respond to someone, maybe perhaps even a fellow Catholic, a, a true believer in, in, in religion, who would say to you, there are no such things as rights, Judge, there are only duties? How would you react to that? Well, my first reaction would be is that this person is a, is a, a Christian in name only because they're rejecting uh, a core uh, teaching of Christianity, which is the value of every human life and the right of every human life to live, uh, and the core teaching that by using your ability to reason, you can discover the other rights that we have to think as you wish, to say what you think, to publish what you say. You do not need to be Catholic or Christian to believe that our rights come uh, from our humanity. But for a person to say we have only duties, to whom do we owe these duties? To the state? If that's what he says, well, then he's, then he's a fascist. He, he would have loved 
uh, Mussolini, uh, what is the state? The state is uh, a, an artificial uh, gathering uh, based on dominance of violence in a given geographic uh, area. And it robs from us, it steals from us, and it lies about uh, what it does. Uh, th this person really has no uh, beliefs that are even close to uh, Christianity or even humanity. Uh, if this person says we don't have any rights, you ask him if he has the right to live. What is he going to say? I don't. I have the duty just to pay taxes. Judge, these are, this is how stupid these people are. They said that uh, San Francisco, with all of its casual drug use and libidinous lifestyles, was an example of libertarianism. How would you react to that? Well, that's not an example of libertarianism. Uh, it's an example of, um, of uh, a government that can't keep the streets clean. Uh, it's an example of left-wing wokeism that's afraid to uh, enforce basic laws, laws that protect property, uh, laws that protect human beings. The only legitimate laws are those that protect natural rights. There is no natural right to fall asleep uh, on the doorstep in, uh, in front of my house. There is no natural right to lay your body across the uh, road so that my car uh, can't uh, pass. And it's the duty and, and the obligation of, of the government to see to it that that does not happen. There's nothing libertarian about that at all. San Francisco is the most unlibertarian place in the country because it's the most overregulated and highly taxed. In a truly libertarian world, A, you can escape uh, the government, you can secede uh, from the government, B, there would be no general taxation, there would just be uh, user uh, taxes, and see, there wouldn't be all these uh, algorithms, uh, the, these woke algorithms that favor this group uh, over that group. And D, the government would be shrunk down to a minuscule fraction of what it is uh, today. And E, you'd have your own private police. <laughs> Which neighborhoods in San Francisco do have? Uh, the ones that protect Nancy Pelosi's house, yes. Um, yes. Judge, yes. Uh, it's quite fashionable on the right to attack libertarians and suggest that libertarianism is responsible for most of our national woes. One being uh, the most uh, prominent example, immigration, that because we have had a libertarian open border policy, we now have chaos and violence and human trafficking and suffering on our southern border. Uh, how would you respond to the accusation that the flood of millions of illegal immigrants into the United States is a result of libertarian border policy? What would you say? We have never had a libertarian border policy. You know, libertarians are on both sides of this. The uh, Murray Rothbard, uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Lou Rockwell side is that though they detest and mistrust government to do anything, they somehow trust it. Uh, to uh, man uh, the borders. Uh, the natural law side is that you have the right to travel wherever you want and your rights are not determined by where your mother was at the time of your birth. Uh, rights are the same for all human beings. That also means that the government doesn't have the uh, right or I'll use the word your uh, caller liked duty to provide a safety net for everybody that comes here. That's the problem with the United States uh, of America, is that people know once they come here, they get free stuff. 
They will get food, shelter, clothing, education and health care. And the Supreme Court has said it is the obligation of the states to provide that. That is a wrong value judgment. And it's wrong for the Supreme Court to have. And without that, there'd be far less incentive for people to come here. And for people that want to come here to improve their lives, God bless them. If my grandparents hadn't come, my great grandparents hadn't come here to improve their lives, I'd probably be sweeping the streets in Naples and Italy, and you and I would never have met. <laughs> Judge Andrew Napolitano joining us live right now. And if you're enjoying this content, make sure you click like and subscribe to the channel. We are exclusive today for the next 30 days as part of Rumble's creator program. We have partnered with Rumble.com to bring you the Wake Up America show exclusively on this platform. So if you want to hear Judge Napolitano and Austin Peterson wax poetic and a little nostalgic about our time together, uh, working together in the past, then you'll have to join us here at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty exclusively Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Central. We're glad to have the judge here to talk about these issues. So, Judge, on that immigration issue, the question of uh, enforcement of, of laws has me listening to the um, podcasts and, and reading the articles of one Victor Davis Hanson. And he talks about this concept of American citizenship as something that should be held uh, held to be a, a distinct privilege, that the idea that this concept that we rally together as citizens of the United States and that immigrants should seek to attain this idea of citizenship makes it, uh, is, is sort of like the, it is the true melting pot in the sense that we all come together as one underneath the banner of constitutionalism, that if you wish to become an American citizen, that means that you accept the Bill of Rights. That means that you reject the laws of Russia, the laws of Afghanistan, the, the laws of Somalia, and you become an American citizen and you are endowed with the privileges, the benefits and privileges and immunities of citizenship. Do you agree with this concept of citizenship uh, as a nation in order to build a, this concept of solidarity, though it it ought to be a voluntary one. Well, I like and admire uh, Victor Davis Hanson. He's one of the smartest people uh, I've ever known, but he's a statist, which you and I absolutely are not. Uh, he believes that the state has a, a moral presumption of moral propriety. Uh, to me, the state has a presumption of not being moral. It, it exists by lying, stealing, and killing. Uh, and Victor Davis Hanson, for him to say you can't become a citizen until you believe in this in the Bill of Rights. The government doesn't believe in the Bill of Rights. The federal government doesn't believe in the Bill of Rights. There's no state government that believes in the Bill of Rights. What What is the value of of uh, newly immigrated citizens believing in the Bill of Rights if the government to which he wants them to pledge their loyalty rejects it? Sorry for getting uh, for no, no, getting okay. carried away. So, so you I, get rid of the I, citizenship I, test. No, no the, so the no citizenship test to to migrate to the United States. Well, I don't know about uh, citizenship tests. I suppose it's uh, it's wise that people understand uh, the way the government works. But to say you can't become a citizen until you embrace the Bill of Rights. What good is embracing the Bill of Rights if the government doesn't uh, doesn't embrace it? Did the, uh, did the I'm, not, fathers... I'm not hung up on the citizenship thing. Mm -hmm. I'm hung up on this loyalty to the state, this recognition of the state 
the government as something moral and purposeful. Uh, unfortunately, the government is necessary to protect our rights, but the government fails to protect our rights. All it does is kill people and steal money in order to aggrandize its own power and to stay in power. Mm. Judge, I loved the Nietzsche quote that you often cite, which is that uh, everything the state says is a lie and everything that it has, it has stolen. Uh, and I find myself reading more Friedrich Nietzsche these days. And the more that I do, I feel myself staring into the abyss and wondering if it, if at times the abyss isn't staring back into me. Um, well, he, but he, he was regarded as a madman, as you know from having read his work, but much of what he said uh, rings true today. That's the, the thesis of my uh, column this week. He said God is dead. He didn't mean literally dead. He meant people act as if there is no God. And he made that statement 150, 160 years ago. It's even worse today. Judge, one of our listeners, Quest Fanning, who's a big fan of yours, uh, asked a question in Rumble. He says, shouldn't time in the executive office be excluded from the statute of limitations as it's a time you cannot be prosecuted during that tenure, VP or president? How would you respond to that? Uh, that's a, a very interesting argument. And there are times when the defendant's behavior stops the tolling uh, of the statute of limitations if the defendant has been out of the country and couldn't be prosecuted, or certain uh, fraud crimes where the, uh, the crime has been completely uh, covered up by the defendant's deception, sometimes the statute of limitations uh, doesn't run. Uh, but the concept of public punishing people after they leave office for what they did during office is novel uh, in American history, and it hasn't happened until uh, Trump. I mean, it has happened at the state level where state uh, politicians who engaged in bribery, for example, were prosecuted after they left office. But these are not officials who enjoy uh, immunity. Does the vice president enjoy immunity? That's never been immunity from prosecution while he's vice president or she's vice president. That's never been ruled on. One last question for you, and then I want to give you a chance to preview your upcoming Judging Freedom shows. Um, Javier Malay of Argentina, self-described anarcho-capitalist and economist, uh, quite popular um, in people amongst our people. Uh, some people, though, um, are much more skeptical of him. And one criticism of him that came up specifically was that he had called Pope Francis a communist and had uh, derided his uh, his value system as being left-wing socialist. Now, last week, Javier Malay visits the Pope, greets him, um, shakes his hand, gives him a hug, welcomes him back to Argentina at any time. Of course, the Pope is from Argentina uh, and says nice things to him and about him. And some people in our community are saying, well, this is something that we need to be suspicious of. From a tactical perspective, Judge, I know that you're not a big fan of, Javi, uh, not of, excuse me, of Pope Francis's views on economics either, but how would you behave if you got to meet the Pope, if you were to meet the, His Holiness? Well, I would behave the, the same as uh, Javier Malay did. I don't know if Javier Malay is Catholic, and it almost doesn't matter if he's Catholic. He's the head of state, and the Pope uh, is the head of state, and one ordinarily shows uh, a cordiality. Um, 
on March 8th of this year, which is the 750th anniversary of the death of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, I have been invited to give a lecture on natural rights and natural law in the Vatican. And I've been asked if I mind staying that week in the guest house where the Pope lives. And I said, do I mind? Of course I don't mind. And then this woman in charge said, well, there are communal breakfasts for everybody who stays in this guest house. I just want to warn you that you might see him. Well, I'd be thrilled uh, to see him, notwithstanding my own views. And I've said this publicly before, that theologically and liturgically, not personally, but theologically and liturgically, he is the worst pope in the history of the church, but he has invited me to his backyard and I'm going to go. <laughs> See, Judge, that's what too many people who believe what we believe don't understand is the difference between a tactic and a principle. And we can agree, we can agree on principles and disagree on tactics, but we need more diplomacy and we need more people who understand the difference between these two concepts. Judge, I wish I could talk to you for hours. Uh, can you please give us a sneak preview of your show coming up? Because I don't want to miss that opportunity to hear about your exciting guests. I have, uh, I have today Professor Jeffrey Sachs, uh, Phil Gerald. Uh, Sachs is, of course, a, a world-renowned uh, scholar, who, by the way, is going to be at this conference with me, even though he's Jewish, is going to be uh, at this conference with me uh, on, uh, on Thomas Aquinas. One of the foremost devotees of Thomas Aquinas uh, is Murray Rothbard, who, of course, was born and raised uh, Jewish. Uh, and Aaron Matei, um, new superstar on my show, a young uh, Canadian journalist who's an expert on Israel and on uh, Ukraine. Colonel Schaefer, Colonel uh, McGregor, Professor Mearsheimer, Max Blumenthal uh, in the next two days. Our former boss the late, great Roger Ailes taught both of us and our colleagues the virtues of having friends on both sides of the aisle. One day I went down there to meet him and who walked out of his office and who was in there ahead of me? Rachel Maddow. And he says to me, don't you dare reveal this until after I'm in the grave. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you gotta have friends on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Judge, how many interviews do you get a week where you get to talk about Thomas Aquinas, theology, libertarianism, socialism, and populism all in Only one? Only one, and it's my favorite of the 25 or so uh, that I do uh, every week. Let me crow just a little bit. Last week, four million views on judging freedom. Wow, congratulations. You can thank Vladimir Putin for that. <laughs> Judge Andrew Napolitano, host of the Judging Freedom podcast. Read his weekly column at judgenap.com. Judge, we appreciate you. We love you. Uh, happy Valentine's Day and have a blessed Ash Wednesday. Thank you very much for your time. Right back at you, Austin. Thank you. Thank you very much. Give the judge a round of applause. One more, will you? Send us a text at 573-319-1586. Jack Lloyd is going to be joining us here in a few minutes. He's going to talk a little bit about the Pope and Javier Malay's meeting and about why so many libertarians seem to be distrustful because Javier Malay is nice to the people who wear the tiny hats. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but real quick, before I go get Jack Lloyd and before I go to the brief commercial break, real quick, just so you know, we have raised $30 of our $50 gold today. Yup, yup, what, what? Quest Fanning, thank you. Joni Rankin, thank you. 
In order to unlock the bonus content before the end of the show, we've only got 30 minutes left to raise 20 more dollars. You can either go to APForLibertyShop.com, buy yourself a t-shirt, that would do it. Or if you donate $20 of Rumble Ranch right here, you will get the unlocked bonus content before the end of the show. And I know you want to see it. Who was one of the most libertarian presidents in U.S. history? Do you know? Do you know? Would you like to find out? Well, if we don't raise $20 by the end of the show, well, then guess what? It goes away forever and you'll never find out. Don't be mad, Greta Thunberg. You could use the education. So donate at least $20 in Rumble Ranch by the end of the show in order to unlock that content. All right, Jack Lloyd, he's making waves online. He's going eight poop on everybody. And he's got some fundamental questions to ask his fellow libertarians, which I think are some good questions. Let's talk to Jack Lloyd, voluntarist and author, when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. What'd you guys think of Judge Napolitano? Perfect guest especially for Ash Wednesday. He's a good practicing Catholic. We had a nice little conversation about the Pope, Javier Malay, libertarian diplomacy, a thing or two. Uh, my next guest is gonna join us and talk about, but before we get to him, very briefly, do me a favor, click like, subscribe to the channel. If you've found us this morning because Rumble has been featuring us, thank you to rumble.com. And I don't want, you, I don't want to like be so egotistical or arrogant to think, oh, you're gonna remember who I am tomorrow morning when you want to listen to the show. So in case you forget, click the subscribe button. That way tomorrow morning you can say, hey, I want to hear that show again. We are five days a week, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. So set a calendar appointment, and if you like the judge, he joins us every Wednesday. Where else can you get big brain time? Talking about economic freedom and personal liberty. We love it here. And we've been talking about Javier Malay today because obviously I got a man crush for him. Yeah, I'll admit it. I'm gay for Javier Malay. Shut up. At least one day a year, right? Stephanie, my wife, is jealous. All right, but not everybody loves Javier Malay. In fact, a lot of people think that he's kind of shady. They think that he's not a real libertarian. Well, my next guest is a real libertarian. His name is Jack Lloyd. He's a producer for Liberty. He creates content for the philosopher, you know, the delicious tasty noodles. Voluntarius, the comic series, very popular these days, and the honest teacher. So he's got works across many mediums and he's joining us live right now. Good morning, Jack. Nice to see you, brother. Hey, it's my pleasure being on. Thanks for having me on, Austin. Glad to have you on here, Jack. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the skepticism of Javier Malay. Now, I know there's a lot of people on the left who are going to hate him. Obviously, they're calling him an authoritarian. They're saying he's the Donald Trump of Argentina. Those people don't know Jack's squat about economics or liberty. But there's also a lot of people who do claim to know things about economics and liberty and freedom and anarcho-capitalism and minarchism and libertarianism who seem to be echoing some of the similar criticisms from the left. You, sir, came on my radar because I've seen you throwing fireballs like Super Mario Brothers <laughs> at some of our fellow libertarians. Give us, first of all, big picture here. Um, what is it that you are so critical of from the libertarian right of what you're seeing in the liberty movement and the, the conversations about Javier? Sure. So for me, you know, I've always been paying attention to Javier Malay in part because I don't know if you've ever seen his his cosplay with his Captain and Cap costume. Uh, but Lilia Lemoyne, she was actually his uh, designer for that costume. And she came across my comic series 
when she was looking for inspiration and designed his costume while, you know, referencing that. So she had told me about this years back, four or five years ago. And that's, you know, was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Who, you know, who's this Javier Malay guy? And, and so I started to take a look at his history and, and pay attention to what um, he was saying and doing. And I was very impressed because it's just so rare to find someone who really gets the economics, who's very broad based on Austrian economics and even, you know, has mentioned specifically the names in public on major shows, you know, with Rothbard and Hayek and so on and so forth. So it, it's just rare to see someone, uh, you know, take such a strong stand and also do education uh, for others uh, where he's actually walking through the steps about why socialism is bad and creates more poverty for people. So for me, I, I was just, you know, really curious about this man. And of course, years later, he's running for president and everyone's like, oh, no, he's, he's not going to win. Right. This guy's this underdog. He's just this rock star guy. He's he's flamboyant. He's, he's not going to win. And then he goes on to defeat, you know, the entrenched socialist system and the Bronis. So he really made waves and in the process changed a whole nation. Right. Where people are starting to actually look at human action uh, by Mises and to start to get familiar with economic concepts and libertarianism. It was just a, a completely astounding thing that in all of human history, this is the first time that a self-identified anarcho-capitalist made it to be president of a country of 45 million people. That itself should be something to celebrate. You know, regardless of whether he may fall as a man, that should be something to sit back and say, wow, what did he do right? What could we learn from him? And instead of, of getting that, instead of getting the opportunity to say, OK, this is our chance for economics education. This is our chance to go showcase what he's done and what he said, because he's been consistent for 10 years in the public. It's not something that's hard to look up with the Internet. They're starting to criticize him and look and nitpick for every little thing they can about him as to why he's corrupt or he's just a CIA asset or, oh, he's just secretly controlled by Jews in Israel. And. It just completely detracts from this moment of opportunity to teach people about libertarianism and the ethics and economics. And I just cannot believe how people are squandering it. it it's so sad to me. And so what I did and what I wanted to focus on with him was to tell people to focus on the good about him. Don't try to look for every little nitpick thing about whatever he's saying and doing in association. Look at his actions, right? Judge the man by what he actually does. and. If you've just been paying attention for the past month, you've seen he has tried to pass so many reforms. He has tried to cut so much of government and he has in some degree, but he's still getting stalled because he's not some dictator. He's not a monarch. There's still a Congress. There's still a Supreme Court. He has already had some of his, his stuff struck down by the Argentinian Supreme Court. Congress has stalled some of his reforms trying to cut government. So he he's not somebody that can just pull the strings and everything, but he has made it clear in his actions, in his executive orders and what he's written and tried to do so far that he has followed through on his campaign, what he said. And so it just really saddens me to see so many people look for the worst in him instead of seizing this moment and saying, OK, here's our chance to promote him and what he's doing that's good and look how to promote all these different past things he said that are clear and concrete about economics education. I mean, how could you miss that opportunity? First of all, brilliant, perfect, broad in, uh, overview of what's going on, Jack. Thank you for that. Everybody should be caught up with what we're looking at uh, in terms of the bigger picture. But now let's start to uh, drill down to some of the issues that people have with him specifically. Listen, 
I don't, but people want to criticize politicians. I don't care who they are. The, there's probably plenty of room to criticize him. When I first heard that uh, he was an anarcho-capitalist, I got a little nervous because I was like, uh-oh, because I'm so familiar with American anarcho-capitalists, how they tend to behave, how they tend to treat others, uh, how they, they uh, operate in terms of diplomacy. Let's just say it's typically dog shit. So I was concerned that Javier Malay would be a person to go out and alienate people and to uh, not be able to build bridges to get more people uh, interested in the ideas of liberty. Turns out Javier Malay is a 180 degrees difference when it comes to American anarcho-capitalists. Not all of them, Jack. There are certainly many good anarcho-capitalists that remind me a lot of Javier Malay here in the United States. They tend to be the minority. We tend to be dominated by people here in the United States who tend to be what I like to refer to just as anti-West. Not to say that there aren't criticisms of American foreign policy or Israeli foreign policy or domestic policy. There certainly absolutely are. But I consider myself to be someone who doesn't look at foreign policy in terms of uh, sort of, uh, what do you call it, a moral equivalence, uh, uh, if you will. There's a lot of what I call sort of woke leftism that has infected American anarcho-capitalism. Some anarchists laugh when I suggest that, but my definition of it simply is uh, that a wokeism is a view of there being uh, the world as oppressors and oppressed. Uh, the idea that the that every interaction is between aggressors and the aggressed, rather than states acting in their own self-interest in regards to foreign policy. Javier Malay is an anarcho-capitalist who is pro-Israel and pro-West, and that has triggered the absolute shit out of anarcho-capitalists like Dave Smith and Clint Russell. Why? So I do like your framing about the the woke mindset in terms of of how it clouds people's judgment. And I want to say I'm an anarcho-capitalist and I'm someone who is very dogmatic about those principles. And I've written about them extensively. But there's a big difference between being someone, as you correctly note, who is reactionary and is anti-West and someone who actually consistently calls out the violence of the state everywhere and doesn't downplay or dismiss it. And a big part of how this framing mentality came to be um, and how these different podcasters, um, how they came to have this view is that they are relying on a long history that um, goes back to anti-war um, editor Justin Ramondo and his views about Israel eventually calling for a boycott of Israel in 2019 before, you know, passing. He himself um, really, you know, never called out any other government for a private boycott. Right. So just to give a sense of the uniqueness of the hatred for Israel, you know, there was no boycott call for China and their one and two child policies and mass murders. You know, there's no call for boycott of Pakistan and the persecution of Christians and Hindus that continues to this day. So. Why? There is a um, specific anti-colonial Marxist backdrop that follows this ideology from the leftist past of this group of people, including, of course, Scott Horton, because that's where they come from. And they have maintained it throughout where they take an all or nothing approach, very similar to what we have in academia in America, where you say all white people are bad and they're racist by default because white people have power. And if you have power, then you have privilege and only you can be racist, right? In the same way that, okay, Jews have power 
and they have privilege and only they can be oppressors and only they can initiate violence. And what is most dangerous about this ideology that I think no one has really internalized is that most countries today are products of imperialism and colonialism stemming from the British, the French, Italy, Spain. It is a whole world of that where natives have been displaced. Groups of people from other countries in South America and Mexico have been forced out and they lost in wars. So you can't create this ideology about Israel without also having these fingers coming back to you and be like, well, wait a second. If Israel won a couple wars and they are officially set up with their government, again, I don't like governments generally. This is just talking about history and comparison. How are you going to criticize them and then not be like, okay, well, the United States government pushed out Mexicans through the 19 or 1846 to 1848 Mexican-American War. And after the Treaty of Guadalupe, they kicked out a bunch of Mexicans, 300,000, 2 million potentially total from there up to what was Operation Wetback in 1954. 1 1.3 million Mexicans were forcibly displaced, including people who were citizens, naturalized, taking their homes and their land. And this was all a part of kicking out Mexico and, and having them cede 55% of the Mexican territory. So you create this backdrop where you're like, wait a second, wait, wait a second. You're, you're now criticizing the entire 20th century of wars being won and conquests. And that would apply to everybody else. And you're actually feeding that all or nothing oppressor victim mindset by having this type of framework. And it, it, and it's it's hypocritical on a next level. I mean, first and foremost, because they're sitting there and saying, well, let's build up walls on the border and let's put troops along the border. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. But you're you're saying that you don't want that with the people in Gaza and the West Bank because that's an open air prison. But you want to build that for Mexicans who themselves have a history to the land in the United States. They actually have displacement, forceful displacement. And they have suffering from the U.S. war on drugs and the cartels being funded. So the, there's some really big philosophical challenges that are being presented in this situation. And because of that and the hypocrisy, they end up having these weird collectivist gobbledygook word salads about, well, it's the will of the people when it comes to America and, and border policy. But then it doesn't apply to Jews who are living there and they have a collective will there, too, for their borders. Right. So, again, there's no consistency to it, except if you understand that it's a one sided philosophy rooted in a very traditional Marxist framework of class warfare, where if you're a colonial occupier, you're the white oppressor. And therefore, you can never do any good. Anything that bad happens to you is just a consequence of blowback no matter what. And you deserve it. And if you have that mentality, you're always going to be victim, you know, basically blaming whenever those people are attacked. And the idea that, oh, this is just, you know, a, a conquest problem of Israel and the Nakba and all this other stuff it is really something wild because it ignores all the history that led up to Israel's creation in the first place and the violence that took place with various riots um, in the early 20th century and the Ottoman Empire and then the, the British mandate and the conflicts that happened there as well in terms of deciding, oh, who gets what land because it's a battle among governments in succession of each other. So it, it really is something that's frustrating because they pick this one point in time, you know, in 1948, and then ignore the rest of the history and ignore the rest of all colonial uh, efforts and all imperialism and all displacements around the world, including things that like, for example, you know, Syria was a creation out of this, uh, you know, World War II, um, you know, development of, of nationalism. Pakistan was Pakistan had 14 million people displaced, 1 million people murdered as people were fleeing because the 
Muslims are persecuting the Hindus. And that persecution still goes on today. There was 1,500 Hindus who were seeking refuge in India because of persecution. Christians are persecuted there as well. So there, it, there's just this crazy mentality that the only violence that's meaningful is what's in Israel, whatever the Western media focuses on, because they're trying to drum up more financial support, which I don't agree with, of course, to Israel, to whatever else they're running the money to, Ukraine, wherever. It's always the current thing. And in, in the process of this, everything gets lost about the history. Everything gets lost about the questions of property rights. And, they, and people stop calling for a libertarian order. They're no longer saying, hey, we should be promoting libertarianism, property rights, free speech, free trade. Where's that discussion? It's just, oh, well, they're committing a genocide, right? Even though if they want to commit a genocide, it'd be very easy to do, just wipe them all out with the IDF. No, they're not committing a genocide. It's an escalation and in many ways unethical that I don't agree with. And I think it's horrible and it's going to create more blowback. But the, the inflammatory language and the inconsistent framing causes people to have this mentality that unsurprisingly causes people to say, oh, Jews are all evil. They're just the puppeteers. They control the world. And, you know, Hamas, they're just on a Jewish string and they're just, you know, killing people because the Jews tell them to, because that's what they want, even though the money that they got actually didn't just come from Israel when they had blowback from that too, which is unethical back in the what late 70s, 80s. It was money from other governments being funded over to Hamas and being let through from like Qatar and Iran because they wanted to fund the radicals who would then be a thorn in Israel's side. That was the whole point. So this idea that, oh, there's no radical Islam, that's just, you know, the U.S. foreign policies blowback is, is, is crazy. It, this ideology is what underpinned the Islamic empire. I mean, it, what the, was the Ottoman Empire not violent with its mandatory conscription and the and the wars that, that you know, were no, engaged no, no. in? It is only so. Israel, <laughs> only Israel and the United States who are violent. Check out the big brain on Jack. Okay. It's, it's take nuts. a breath, it's take nuts. a breath, Jack. It is absolutely insane. First of all, you're saying everything that I have been saying and thinking for months now. It's great to yeah. hear it. I love having my opinions read back to me in someone else's voice. <laughs> I'm speaking to Jack Lloyd. He's a voluntarist and anarcho-capitalist in the vein of Javier Malay. So if you're a big Javier Malay fan and you clicked on us because of that thumbnail, you're in the right place. So click one more time, the like button and okay, one more time, two more times there. Click the subscribe as well and come back and join us here every Monday through Friday where we have big brain discussions like this, international politics. So this conversation between Jack Lloyd and I began because I saw that while I've been suffering the slings and arrows, of outrageous fortune, I thought alone in pointing out some of the hypocrisies of the United States anarcho-capitalist movement in regards to their criticisms of Javier Malay and his particular like of the Chabad Lubavitch Jewish sect of Israel and his kindness to also Pope Francis, who he has criticized in the past, I thought I was alone. When I saw Jack Lloyd going ham and throwing fireballs on the internet the other day, saying a lot of the things that I have been thinking and saying, for months now, I realize, hey, there's at least two of us, perhaps. So uh, in regards to the Pope Francis question here, I saw you um, weighing in on this one. He has said some not, not nice things about Pope Francis, but then he goes and shakes Pope Francis's hand afterwards. Some people were a little bit triggered by that, but nowhere near as triggered as they were when he met with another head of state, Benjamin Netanyahu. It does seem as if there is some kind of special ex exemption, like you, like you've you're you're noticing, I, I guess, right? A little, just a teensy bit of hypocrisy. Yeah, and, and to me, I'm not surprised in the cultural sense the hypocrisy. I mean, if you just run the numbers, there's you know what, two point six million people who are 
Christian around the world, 1.3 billion Catholics. So I'm not surprised when people have a bias toward, oh, he's meeting with the Pope. Okay, I'm less triggered by that because it's not, you know, as less common of religion. But when people see him meeting in Israel and going there, checking out the Holocaust Museum, uh, you know, being at the Wailing Wall and just feeling a connection for himself, you know, spiritually about his history and his religious views and just feeling empathy for them, that's that's too much. They can't they can't handle that. He just feels a connection to the Holy Land where much of the world's religions actually have a tie to for their history among Islam and Christianity and Judaism, which, you know, for anybody else should just be, you know, pretty much a normal thing for two thirds of the world. Right. Um, But him saying that he supports Israel also was this propaganda framing because they made it seem as if, oh, he supports genocide because he supports Israel unconditionally. And I'm sitting there saying. Okay, let me go read his words, what he actually said, right? Instead of these headlines. And instead of that, he actually said, as president of Argentina, I reaffirm my unconditional commitment to a society based on freedom and human dignity. And I reaffirm my request for the liberation of the kidnapped hostages, right? So this guy is not saying, oh, you need to have not freedom. You're not saying, oh, you shouldn't have human dignity. Oh, the hostages, whatever. He's he's speaking in context of empathy toward the situation. He didn't say Israel should go and just start bombing a bunch of hospitals in Gaza or something like that. And then there's, you know, there's again, when he says another statement about his unalterable commitment, he says, I accompany you in this difficult moment and I want to ratify at this moment my unalterable commitment to the state of Israel, to the Jewish people in their fight against Islamic terrorism for peace and freedom. And you could sit there and criticize the Israeli government for failing at this or or intentionally frustrating it in different ways. And you could say, yeah, they've done bad things, just like the U.S. government. But the idea to say that, oh, yeah, Javier Malay, he doesn't care what the Israeli government does. They could just murder whoever and he, he'll just support it is total nonsense. Everything he said was in a context specifically with the situations of fighting Islamic terror, of wanting peace, of wanting freedom, which matches his rhetoric in every other fighting regard. Islamic terror. So. Now, <laughs> let me interrupt you for just a moment. Yeah. It's that fighting Islamic terrorism that seems to be a bit of a bugaboo for American anarcho-capitalists, because if you if you were to suggest that we should fight Islamic terrorism, would that make you a neocon like me, Jack? Well, there's a big difference between fighting Islamic terrorism as a state, which I am not for in terms of this proactive U.S. military interventionist nonsense. That is not how you deal with that situation. We need private defense against actual terrorist acts, just like any muggers or robbers or pirates. And we also need the principles of freedom and property rights being preached and normalized over in that region. So a big part of why that was frustrated is because Operation Ajax and the U.S. government going into a color revolution and that having blowback, right? Or the U.S. government with uh, with uh, the Mujahideen. And, you know, you know, Operation Cyclone funding two sides and then trying to be like, oh, OK, we'll, we'll stop the Soviets this way. And then that leading to Taliban and Al-Qaeda and blowback. So this whole idea of you're going to get to freedom and peace and prosperity by creating more enemies who then come back to haunt you is nonsense. You need free trade. Mises got it right. You Free trade builds inroads to peace. Right. And so what's the first thing that all these countries start doing when they get in conflict? Oh, you can't trade with Israel or we'll put you in jail if you're in Lebanon. Oh, you know, Israel, oh, you can't trade with other people. It's insane. That's the counter to peace. We need free trade. We need free speech. We need property rights. And people who ignore that aspect to this calculation are doing the greatest disservice because all they're doing is drumming up new collectivist hatred. And that is tragic. 
Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree that we do need more free trade and we need more education about liberty and, uh, and free markets. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, if you're a pirate or a terrorist, then there is a legitimate response there that does involve the use of force. That's my uh, argument. Uh, the neo, uh, the, I, I think the problem with the U.S. libertarian movement or the anarcho-capitalist movement is that it doesn't understand the terms that it uses. What is a neoconservative? Someone who believes in an, in, in an interventionist foreign policy, nation building, funding foreign regimes, setting them across from one another versus my minarchist libertarian view, which is a constitutionalist view that says we only go to war if we're actually attacked. We do so constitutionally. We deal with pirates and terrorists with letters of mark and reprisal, as Ron Paul has stated in the past, and that we generally do not go abroad in search of monsters to slay, but that the don't tread on me part of libertarianism, that the Gadsden flag that we all love to, to sports has a snake with fangs representing us that even the even the more the less um the less violent imagery of the porcupine that uh, libertarians like to fly means that the flag that they like to fly means that we also have quills and those quills are used for a reason and those quills can kill and absolutely libertarianism does not mean pacifism in the sense that perhaps robert murphy might like to uh, advance which is perfectly fine and i believe it is a legitimate philosophy of liberty to say that if I am attacked, I will not attack back. I, if you strike me, I will turn the other cheek. That is a perfectly legitimate libertarian philosophy. But it is not the only libertarian philosophy. Some of us porcupines have quills. Some of us snakes have fangs and venom. And when we are tread on, we have every legitimate right to respond to violence and the initiation of force with a counteractive greater force than that is being used against us to stop that threat. That is my position on this one, Jack. And we've only got a few more minutes left. This has been a great conversation. I feel like we could probably talk for hours, so I'll probably have to have you back. But you tweeted this the other day. You said that you believe that a lot of the anger and angst and hatred from American libertarians at Javier Malay has to do with their own failures and their jealousy of him. Um, I'll say, as someone who ran for office and failed, I am jealous of Javier Malay, but I don't hate him. <laughs> I'm envious of him, and I want him to succeed, and I'd like to see more American libertarians succeed. But I do think that you're correct in that a lot of the hatred, the enmity for Javier Malay is the fact that not only has he been successful, but that he does reject that Marxist framework that you identified in regards to the view of uh, Western values. Um, would you care to expand on that, specifically focused on the American libertarian movement uh, and their views of Javier Malay before we go? Sure. So just rowdy up that, that issue, you know, there's this temptation that people get caught up in where they go from being anti-Western to becoming pro-alternative tyranny. And that is a very delicate balance. And you don't want to go there. You don't want to go and start fawning over Putin because you think, well, he's against U.S. imperialism. I guess maybe he just cares about his people. And this is the kind of insanity that you get when you don't think through the specifics of who he is in his role. He's ex-KGB. He got into power. He maintained his power with a long body count like the Clintons. And he managed to continue to stay in office by getting the term extended and not exactly the uh, the most um, benign of ways, right? Lots of uh, missing bodies. So the fact of the matter is, is that you can't go and then 
enable another new form of collectivism, statism, in your response to being upset at the U.S. government. You should be advocating for a principled approach for all, which is free markets, peace through trade and property rights, de-escalation of conflict. And as you said, which I agree on in terms of not being a pacifist, it doesn't mean you're a pacifist to say, hey, we're not supporting funding every government and every country with aid and arms and all this other stuff. And that's a big part of the problem is the U.S. government has given arms to everybody. I mean, they want to basically armed half the world's powers, but want to disarm us. How insane is that? Right. So we shouldn't be surprised when the U.S. government is giving weapons to every single country in the world. And then all of a sudden they're enabled to fight each other on another level. And the U.S. government facilitates that by playing international politics and putting all these bases, you know, 750 bases, 80 countries and creating this constant sense of looming warfare. It's it's a psychosis and it's crazy. And so the consistent principal position is that we need to get out of all these countries. We need to have a strong value of human life by not fostering these wars and conflicts, not funding both sides and including and not limited to, of course, the UNRWA, because that has been its own welfare dependency program in Gaza. And that was a part of what continued the conflict. I like is that it, Jack. I love it. I love it. We're going to we're going to run into overtime here and I don't have. I don't have a Patrick Mahomes or a Travis Kelsey to to kick a field goal and win the Super Bowl here, but uh, hell, it's been it's been a hell of an interview, Jack. I want to give you the opportunity because people are asking. There are quite a few Jack Lloyds on Twitter. X, what's his at? Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners or plug before we let you go, Jack? Great job. Yeah, real quick, Jack J A C K V as in voluntarius Lloyd L O I D JackVLloyd.com. You can connect me connect with me there. I have several great books um, that I've written. They're very popular. Definitive Guide, Libertarian Voluntarism, A Vision for Libertarian Future, and Philosophical Voluntarism. Excellent primers on the principles. I also have my comic series, Voluntarist, and a new kids book that just came out on unschooling. So as you mentioned in the beginning, I do quite a bit in terms of educating people on liberty and inspiring the culture. So I really appreciate you having me on. JackVLloyd.com. Let's buy some of Jack's books. What do you say, guys? Head over to his Twitter profile. Give him a follow. Click on the link in the bio there. Grab some of those books for your kids. We're about to have a baby, me and Steffi, so we'll have to get that one for our kids. Jack, hey, great conversation. I have to say, I think that you probably elucidate these ideas even better than I do. So thank you very much for joining us today and keep uh, kicking ass and taking names. Happy Valentine's Day. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Jack Lloyd. What do you guys say? Click like and subscribe to the channel. You did a great job. All right. Well, congratulations, everybody. You unlocked the bonus content right before the end of the show. So let me play it out for you. As we go, so instead of a commercial break at the end where I tell you visit APforLibertyShop.com and then play five minutes of commercials instead, I'm going to play for you the bonus content. Congratulations. Thanks to everybody. Andy Opperman, Quest Fanning, Joni Rankin, uh, JJ884. I can't remember how many numbers or what they are, that sequence of numbers. You guys donated today. You unlocked the bonus content. You rock. If you love this conversation, make sure you come back tomorrow morning. We'll see you then. Enjoy your bonus content that you unlocked, which is one of the most libertarian presidents in U.S. history. Who could it be? Who could it be? We'll see you tomorrow on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Coolidge may have been the most libertarian president. In a modest Vermont graveyard lies the understated gravestone of Calvin Coolidge, marked only by a faint presidential seal reflecting the humility of the 30th president known as Silent Cal for his rare public speeches and restrained policymaking approach. Critics saw his silence as a weakness, yet it was his moderation that defined his strength. 
Born in 1872 in the challenging terrain of Plymouth Notch, Coolidge's early life was marked by the harsh realities of farming life and the innovative spirit of his family, which started a cooperative cheese factory to overcome the limitations of their environment. Coolidge's political values were shaped in his youth, observing town meetings and the principled leadership of his father and grandfather. These experiences instilled in him the values of common sense, civility, and a deep respect for Republican equality. Despite personal challenges, including the loss of his mother and struggles with homesickness and acceptance at Amherst College, Coolidge persevered, finding his voice in debating which later paved his way into law and eventually politics, despite his initial financial constraints. Coolidge's steady rise in politics, from local committees to the governor of Massachusetts, was in stark contrast to the progressive era's push for rapid reforms. His preference for cautious governance emphasized the importance of administrative efficiency and local autonomy over federal intervention. His civil demeanor and approach to politics, focusing on hard work and service over negative campaigning, endeared him to voters, including newly naturalized citizens. Coolidge's representation of immigrants in court, often without charge, won him broad support. The defining moment of Coolidge's political career came during the Boston police strike of 1919. His decisive action against the striking police officers, prioritizing public safety, catapulted him into the national spotlight and eventually to the vice presidency under Warren Harding. Coolidge faced the challenge of reducing national debt without raising taxes, a task complicated by the Teapot Dome scandal. His fiscal policies focused on reducing government spending and lowering tax rates, strategies that spurred economic growth and reduced national debt. Under Coolidge's leadership, the U.S. economy saw significant growth, marked by increased productivity and innovation. However, his tenure also saw the enactment of the Restrictive Immigration Act of 1924, reflecting the era's contentious debates over immigration. The personal tragedy of losing his son, Calvin Jr., in 1924 did not deter Coolidge from his presidential duties, winning a subsequent election by a landslide. His decision not to seek re-election in 1928 was driven by his belief in the importance of rotating leadership to prevent an imperial presidency. Coolidge's legacy is often debated, particularly in relation to the Great Depression. While not directly responsible for the economic downturn, his policies of fiscal restraint and moderation offer lessons for contemporary governance. Calvin Coolidge's presidency, characterized by his quiet demeanor, fiscal conservatism, and commitment to public service, provides a nuanced perspective on leadership and the balance of power in American politics, illustrating the impact of personal integrity and restraint in the highest office.